0: Today won't go long, won't go long today, Haki. Tonight is not a long class. An hour and 15 minutes, not long. It is. What does it say? Yom Kippur. Uh-huh. Okay, good evening, everyone. We're ready to begin. We are ready to begin. Uh, we're holding over here. We're holding over here in the in the tenth chapter of the portal the portal of tshuva. We're learning this because it's the ten days of tshuva. It's the ten days of return, and we culminate in Yom Kippur, beginning Rosh Hashanah culmination Yom Kippur and by the time Yom Kippur comes we're hopefully standing face to face with God so uh, if we didn't uh, do any work we still have a day and the, you know, according to the mystical tradition tshuva really takes a it takes a split second it's just a moment of turning around but sometimes you need a, quite a bit of lead up in order to be able to turn around but it's all about turning around So we're holding in the 10th chapter. It makes sense because we're reaching the 10th day of Tshuva. So the book that we're learning is the Gerasa Tshuva, the book of Tanya. And here we're holding by Perek Yud. Okay, so generally just to do a little recap. I mean, of course, this is after 10 chapters. So we're picking up quite in the middle. But hopefully those that are not here been here before can can connect um, in that the book I cannot can't tell you exactly over there because I don't have uh, but it's agara chuva which is the third section of the Tanya and we're holding Perek Yud, the tenth chapter in the earlier chapters we were learning that there is two elements in chuva chuva means returning loosely translated, Loosely translated, shuva means re- means repentance, but that's not really the meaning of the word. The true meaning of the word is to return. But there is two dimensions in returning. The Zohar says that tshuva stands for you break the word up, tashuv hay, returning the letter hay, meaning God's name, the tetragrammaton the higher name of God has four letters. The Yud, the He, the Vav and the He. So we're saying when we do tshuva, we return the He. The He, why does the hey have to be returned? Because as a result of our actions, we can sometimes cause a separation between the letters of God's name, which really means interruption in the cosmic flow of energy into the world, into the universe. Because God created the world and he has certain intentions, certain interests, just like anybody doing anything has certain interests in what they're doing. So God has certain interests. And when we're flowing and we're operating in the interests of what God has intended us, so then we enhance the flow. If God forbid we're acting contrary to his will or desire, we interrupt the flow. And that's and primarily, we affect the letter he of God's name, because the letter he is the feminine side of God's name. The letters yud and the vav are the masculine energy. And the difference between the male energy and the female energy, the female is the recipient. It's the absorption of taking it all in. The man is the transmitter. So the yud and the hey is more God's part as God influences into the creation. Sorry, the Yud and the Vav. These are both representing the energy flow from God. The hay and the hay is related more to the receiving end of creation. So when we, as part of the creation, um, are whatever, we can say simple words, misbehaving, then we cause some kind of an effect on the hay. And since there are two letters of God's name, two hay's in Hashem's name, yud and then hay, and then y- and then vav and then another hay, that means that the tshuva has to be on both. So the separation and the impact is on the both hay's. So when we do tshuva and we come back, we do the repair on both the levels, the lower hay. See, the second hay of God's name is also considered the lower hay. The first hay of God's name is, besides it being the first, it's also the, the higher. Because God's name is not only written horizontally, Yud, Ke, Vav, Ke. God's name is really written, Yud, Ke, Vav, He. Where the Yud is on the top, and the He after that, and then the Vav, and then the He. And this represents various levels of channeling of the energy as it flows into the creation, as it makes its way into the universe, from the Yud, to the He, and to the vav, and then to the latter hay. So, a defect, um, our sins, cause some kind of a blemish in the haze, the lower hay and the upper hay. When we're doing tshuva, we're repairing the two hays of God's name. Um, and that's why the Zohar says, it's a mystical concept, that there is lower tshuva and higher tshuva. The lower tshuva comes to. the lower hay of God's name and the higher tshuva comes to enhance or you don't want to say so much fix and repair because on the level of the higher hay it's so deep and it's so high there's not too much blemish that can reach it but we could intensify the flow if we might say in the upper hay of God's name when we do tshuva So we have two levels of tshuva. So we learned in the earlier classes. The lower tshuva, as it translates in our life, it means returning to innocence. God is our king, our master. We're his subjects. We ought to obey his rules in which he set up for us to live our lives in accordance to what he sees as fit and right and correct. If we don't do that, then we've disconnected ourselves And we learned earlier that causes an interruption between our soul and God, and it's it's a big mess. Not good. We actually harm God as well. Because since God loves us so much, He goes wherever we go. He never separates from us. So if we go into dark places, we're dragging the energy of God also into darkness. And we cause God to enliven things that He doesn't want to give life to. When we pay attention to that which isn't good, we cause God to pay attention to that which isn't good and to support that which isn't good, thereby enlivening them, empowering them, and strengthening them. So therefore, um, when we're doing teshuva, when we're doing this, so what's the repair? The repair is, the idea of teshuva is, the lower teshuva is repairing sin. We sinned, we have to repair the sin. We're extracting ourselves from all negativity from all darkness. We're pulling ourselves out. And how do you do that? Not by saying, Oh, I want to be a good person. I can't believe I'm so I'm so ugly or lowly or dark or that's not. That's all selfish. It's not about you. It's about your relationship with God. And here is and also the pity for your own soul. And the way you extract yourself from all darkness. And wipe away all the barriers that stands between a person's soul and God and Hashem. There's only the way you do that, according to what we're learning over here, the Hasidic approach, which is a very deep approach, and a very refreshing approach, is that it's it's not about knocking yourself down or something. It's about having pity for your soul by recognizing that you have a beautiful soul. There's a little piece of God from above that comes from a place of unbelievable light and it was basking in God's light for thousands of years in the highest the soul is even higher than angels it's a little piece of God from above poor little soul got sent down in a body at least if I'm doing the things with my body that which is meaningful and real and important and connecting me to God good then my soul is accomplishing something for God while it's in the body even though the soul is very distant from the palace she's a princess that has left the palace and now finds herself in a very, very, very in a foreign land, in a very, very far-away place. That's what our world is. Until, the, until we fix our world and make this world into a place where God's glory can manifest, which hopefully is going to happen very soon, the coming of Mashiach, but until we get to that place, this world is a very dark place. The physical, the physical, because it's physical, that's it. The physical world is, is obscuring. It blocks, it hinders. We don't see God we see a bunch of other stuff. We see ourselves, we see all kinds of attractive stuff that pull us here and pull us there and pull us there. And most of the time we forget about God. And we forget about our purpose in life and things like that. It's the physical world is. So when a person realizes, OK, so then the soul came down here into this very dark place. In a sense, she's suffocating. She misses her home so badly, but she has a mission. And what's the mission? To extract diamonds. Because ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, light will only come from the darkness. The ultimate beauty will always come from Earth. The physical world is the darkest, most obscuring part, but the physical world contains within it the most potent energy. As it is the lowest, farthest, but it's also the highest. And that's the rule we always learn. Anything that's super low originates super high. So if something exists in a very lowly state, in a very disconnected state, in a state of separateness, separation, it's because in its source of sources it is attached with an attachment that's, on, that's very, very powerful. It's just, it's just that it is, uh, now it's lowly. So when the soul comes down to the body, the soul has a lot to accomplish. And uh, if it does what it's supposed to do, that's wonderful. And that's great. And it's accomplishing great things. But if the soul, um, but if the soul, but if, if a person suddenly looks at his or herself and we realize how distracted we get and how caught up we get with other stuff, and if we get all about what's really important, then you start having pity for your own soul. And not only do you pity for the soul, because in addition to the darkness of the physical god forbid the darkness of sin is super dark real darkness real disconnect so you feel pity for your soul and as we learned what tshuva really is it's a deep feeling it's a powerful feeling we're talking about the lower tshuva; we haven't even touched the higher teshuva yet the lower tshuva is a deep sense of compassion for the soul and a frustration with the a person with one's own ins- with, with one's ego. See, the problem is the ego. The ego is the false sense of I that's blocking our soul. And this dragon's taking the soul for a ride and pulling the soul into who knows what. So with, there's, there's two forces when we do teshuva in the lower teshuva. It's all part of the low. two main things. You pity your soul and you pity the shekhinah, which is the part of God that's connected to your soul. So you're, you're feeling bad for yourself and for God's energy that has been pulled in and become so, so abused, suffering so much. You feel terrible for your soul, and at the same time, you also feel frustrated, and you come to a state of a broken heart. Because generally, the ego is all inflated, it feels so good about itself. and You break your heart, and you feel, you feel like like, what have I done? And you feel a certain frustration and upsetness to the point of like really, really, a real shattering of one's self-image. Like, what have I done? Like, what am I, what am I doing? By doing that, you break the shattering of the heart, breaks the forces of unholiness that, are, that have taken possession of one's soul until one is connected, right? When one is doing the wrong things. And when you're pitying God, what you're doing is you're, or you're, you're pitying your soul you're evoking divine mercy. It's very powerful. When we feel a sense of pity for our soul, when we can weep for our own soul, and really feel the pity for the neshama, we evoke God's infinite mercy, and that stimulates, that mercy comes down and repairs all the damages that we've done. Everything. And it can be done just in in one deep moment. One true, sincere moment. When a person recognizes, like, what's with me? Where have I been? It's a shake-up and then you evoke God's mercy and God's mercy is endless doesn't make a difference doesn't make a difference 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years nine years doesn't make a difference doesn't make a difference how many how many times a person sinned doesn't even make a difference how many chances you had to repair and you didn't repair It's all irrelevant it becomes absolutely irrelevant because we're gonna learn later and that doesn't say it this week we're gonna learn it in another class God is not, you, God doesn't have, it's not like a human being We have a limit We have a certain amount of patience And when someone does something To insult us Or to offend us Once We forgive them Twice we find it a little more difficult to forgive them But we'll forgive them if they ask for forgiveness But you know what? Come on After four or five times You're doing the same thing And I told you that this I really don't like this And you keep on doing it again and again like, Why should I forgive you? It doesn't work that way Because our And the reason for that is Because our compassion All has a limit But God's compassion is limitless. And therefore, he uses, and to an infinite being, a thousand is the same, or even a million times, is exactly the same like once or twice. There's no difference. Doesn't like, like, oh, come on, doesn't have that. If we really mean it at that moment, and we say, Hashem, I really want to do your will. That's all I want. I want to fulfill my mission for what you set me down in this world. And be connected to you, God. From the midst of, of my darkness, I want to return to you. That tshuva, that return, fixes all the damages of the sin. Repairs the soul. But that's the first stage of tshuva. What's the second tshuva? That's the lower tshuva. You're going back to being an a innocent. You go, you're going back to the state that you were when you were born. You were born. You're still innocent when you're a little child I haven't done yet the things, we haven't done the things we ought not to have done so we're returning to our innocence and to a state of we're a good subject and we're back in God's grace but here is where the, the hasidus what we're learning over here teaches us a whole new thing and he says once you're doing tshuva already and you're going back, why don't you go back a little more why don't you bring your soul back to a state of union and connection to your maker. Not just to where you were before you started sinning. Because from that place you sinned. So who is to tell if you go back now, you're not going to go back to sinning again. So if you're going back already, go back a little deeper. Where should I go back to? How can you go back? There's no more sins anymore. There's no more negativity. There's no more darkness. All the clouds and all the blemishes of the soul. Everything has been healed. I'm completely a newborn baby. I'm rehabilitated. That's what happens on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is very powerful. By the end of the day of Yom Kippur, we are... Today is Thursday night. Saturday night, Shabbos night. And 48 hours from now, if we only let ourselves this happen, we come to shul, and we do what we ought to do on Yom Kippur... We are completely metamorphosized. We're new. We're new people. We're brand new. We're rebooted. Completely rebooted. Completely re, re remade. We're as a new person, as a new human being. So what's deeper than that? How do you go deeper? And the answer is, your soul existed before it was created. That doesn't make any sense. What do you mean our souls existed before they were created? Our soul, especially a Jewish soul. It's a very special soul. Are a part of God from above. The verse says so. The Torah, God says, Ki Hashem amo." You're a part of God. And when God created Adam, Adam Arishon, the first human being, it says he blew, he blew into his nostrils a breath of life. Vayipach nishmas chayim. Hashem blew into his nostrils a breath of life. So now let's imagine, why. what is the soul? The soul is God's airflow. If God is blowing, obviously, God is not physical. But anthropomorphically speaking, and we need to, of course, understand this in abstraction and abstraction and abstraction and a gazillion times abstraction. Our minds really, we are operating through a physical mind and a physical filter. So we can't really perceive things as they truly are. But the Torah does give us certain analogies so that we can understand. So just like when a person blows, the breath that you blow in the same way is a soul. God blows the soul out. That's God's breath. That's your soul. Good. But what happens when you blow breath? Let's say you're blowing up a balloon. You blow the balloon. The breath that you, that you, that you exhaled and you put into the balloon now went into the balloon. Now what was that breath before it went into the balloon? It was part of your general airflow or your life flow life power, it's, it's the air that you have in your, it's your oxygen it's your life, it's making up your, right, but once you blow it out and you put it into the balloon, it's a separate identity, it's now inside the balloon it's not you, it's not part of you the same as our souls, once God breathes it into us, it's us, it's not him but here is where the Zohar tells us, and what we're going to learn over here in the Tanya is telling us that each and every one can do this once you're doing tshuva already why not bring your soul back to where it was before it ever got breathed out of God's mouth. When your soul was still part, embedded in God's infinite life force, and you are one with God in a point where you're indistinguishable from who from 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 from, from we don't know where God ends and you begin because you're just one seemingless oneness of the soul and God. That doesn't make any sense. How can you do that? I'm in a body, I'm in a physical body. That's chuva. Chuva is go back return your soul all the way to its quintessential beginnings. Where was your soul one with God before God ever breathed the soul? So your neshama now is returned. You can bring your soul back, but how can you do that? You don't have to die for that. You don't have to take your chas v'shalom. (laughs) It's not a cool thing to die, right? We're supposed to be alive (laughs) here. This is where God wants us. We can't accomplish many things when we're up there. I mean, up there is like a place we go until, until we're able to come down again. Here is, here is where things are happening. Here is where we can fix. Here is where we can repair. Here is, here is where we can give God pleasure. So we want to stay in the body. But what we're learning is that we're able to become unified with God in our bodies in the same way like we were unified with God before He ever breathed us out. How is that possible? How is it possible to be alive in a body? And the idea is, so we learned last week, one way of accomplishing that, and that was chapter 9, two weeks ago we learned that, and now we're coming to chapter 10, and he's going to explain another way of how that is done. There's two ways of, re- t- once you're doing tshuva already, and you have a desire for reunification, to bring your soul back into total oneness with your, with your source, there's two ways of accomplishing that. One of them is, when you're ready to do Teshuva, you can draw God's, God down into your soul. In other words, here, here's Hashem, so to speak, God, up there, and we're here. And what's separating us from God? God is really everywhere. God is everywhere. He fills all of existence. He's everywhere. What's really separating us from God is our own consciousness, is the fact that we're, we live in a consciousness in which we feel ourselves. And that trappings of self is what's really limiting us, confining us, and keeping us separate from the greater reality that God is and there's none but Him. Okay? That's a, that's a truth. Whether we acknowledge it or not, God is the only reality and we're all living within Him and expressions of Him. Okay? Why? But we can be gazillions of miles away from that. Why? Because of our consciousness. When we're not thinking about God at all, and when I'm thinking about myself, and I'm hungry, and I'm tired, and I need this, and I want that, and this is what I'm looking for, and this is what makes me happy, and this is what makes me. So when a person is stuck in their own self, then they've, that itself is separating yourself from the greater truth of Hashem. So the way to become one back with God is to empty oneself out, is to empty yourself out from I, and to fill that space, that consciousness, with divine, with with God, not with self. How do you do that? So in the last class we learned, well, when you're studying Torah, that's exactly what you're doing. Because when you're studying Torah, Torah is God's wisdom. These are God's ideas. This is God's creative mind, the Torah. When you're studying a concept of the Torah, any concept, any part of Torah, whether it's learning the Chumash, right? learning the Chumash itself, 24 books of the Tanakh. Or whether you're learning the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Midrash, or anything. These, these, these think this is God's will and God's wisdom. And when you're studying it, you're filling your mind with God's knowledge. For the duration of time, here's the amazing thing, for the duration of time that your mind is entertaining the thoughts of Torah, the ideas of Torah, And not your own ideas, not your own, what I'm thinking, my own creative ideas, but I'm thinking what God thinks of. So what's happening is, now Hashem has filled my mental space. My mental space is filled with God, not with me. Now how about if I take that a step further? I'm not only conceiving it and understanding it in my brain, but there is a mitzvah when we study Torah, is to speak. You should speak in them. We say in the Shema, God says, speak Torah. So when we're speaking Torah, we're not quoting God. We'll say, oh, it says in the Chumash, so, so, and so. God says to Moses, do so, and so. Or so. So simply we're learning, I'm quoting what God says. That's true. Most of the time, that's what's happening. But when you're in return mode, when you realize it's Yom Kippur tomorrow, and you suddenly realize, hey, I want to return to a deeper union with God. I want to get back and close to Him. And how can I restore myself to total unity? How can I get back into the pool of life before it, before it filled my own, little, my own little space? How can I return my soul into its source? How do I do that? So, I'm going to study Torah. So I'm going to fill my mind, not with my thoughts, but with God's thoughts. And not only that, I'm going to speak those words. So when you're speaking it, you know what's happening? you're not talking and here's the amazing thing you're not talking God is making his wisdom and his ideas known in the world through your vocal cords through your mouth obviously that only happens if you want that to happen if you're living in, in, in if, you're, if, if a person is steeped if a person is steeped in ego and the self-centeredness so even if they're learning and let's say a person is learning because I want to be religious it's all about you not about God you want to be who asked you to be anything stop being let God be through you you want to melt into Him you want to return you want to go put your neshama back to be one with Hashem now what? if you're one with God then let God speak through you and that's what happens when you're learning Torah The words are not your words. The verse says, God says, I put my words in your mouth. Let me speak. And then we're channeling. Literally, we're just conductors of energy. And we're channeling. When we're learning Torah, we're channeling God's words, God's ideas through us. And your soul is, at least for that time, you're right. A half an hour later, your phone is going to ring. You get a text you're gonna you're gonna become you're gonna fall back into self okay but isn't it beautiful that for 20 minutes you're able to lift yourself out of your own little tiny little self and rejoin and become one with the infinite and be an expresser of the infinite and that's in your speech and also but it's not only in Torah he says it's also in when you're doing when you're doing kindness acts of charity and acts of kindness why Because one of the things God does is God is always doing charity. God is always giving tzedakah. Why? Because what is tzedakah? Tzedakah is you're giving to those who don't have. The world and the creation doesn't have anything. We don't even have existence. We can't even exist. We only exist with divine input. God is continuously imbuing the world, not just with life, not just with success, not just with sustenance. God is imbuing us with existence, with beingness. Because He is, and without Him we don't exist. Every moment He's being the world into beingness. He's willing the world into existence. That's the greatest charity. He is giving to all those who don't have. We're poor, we're worse than poor. We don't have anything. We don't even have existence. And God is giving tzedakah all the time. That's God's action. So just like the Torah is God's mind, What's God's activity? What does he do? What does God do for a living? What's his doings? What does he do? He sustains the worlds. All the worlds. Angels, beings, souls, planets, the universe. Down to the tiniest little ant, and, 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 and right everything is being sustained. God is giving immense tzedakah. Now how about when you step in, in the middle and lend your hand for God's kindness to flow through you. By doing what? By you giving a $5 bill to a needy person. So what just happened? It's not your responsibility to take care of this needy person. You didn't create that person. God's responsibility. He created that person. God has to sustain all his creations. It's not his responsibility, but that's what he chose. It's his kindness. He's going to take care of them. If you didn't give them the $5, and they were meant to have those $5 because they needed lunch, God would get them lunch many other ways that they could have their lunch. But you know what you just did? You allowed yourself to be a conduit. You allowed yourself to be one of the wires. You know, when you sometimes you're looking for a, you want to get your fan on, but the fan is far, so you need an extension cord. So you're adding another extension cord for the electricity to flow through these wires. This is exactly what you you just did. You became an extension cord. You're tapping into God's kindness. God's kindness is now flowing through your body, through your hands, and through your fingers. And now you're giving charity. Now, that doesn't mean that a person does charity like that all the time. You can do charity without that thought. You want to be a good person, and you, you care. You feel bad. You see a poor person. You feel you want to help them. That's wonderful, that's good, and you should do that all the time. But then it's an act of a finite human being being kind. You are now executing kindness, you're you're a nice guy, that's wonderful. It's wonderful that you're a nice person. But think about it this way, here you have an opportunity, not to be a nice guy, but to be a funnel and a channel for infinite kindness to be expressed through you. So for another minute in your day, you're not you, you are you, but you are you as you are one with God. You're your true you. It's not like you're stopping to be yourself. You are who you really, really are, because what are we really, if not a spark from God and one with God? So this is not really an eradication of self. It's actually the ultimate expression of self. A self that is part and, an ex- and, 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 and is absolute with God's absoluteness. It's very powerful and very strong and very rejuvenating and very refreshing so he says when we want to do tshuva and that's the way the Balchuva tshuva is doing it see that? that's the whole thing we're learning over here it's after we sinned that's what's so nice about this also we're not talking about perfect people we're not talking about righteous people who do everything good They're not doing, they don't have to do the tshuva we're talking about people that messed up and when they suddenly realize they've messed up and they want to go back from their distant place So part of this return process is, go back, and after you've already been forgiven for all your sins, don't stop. Go deeper, inner. Go deeper and deeper and deeper, until you melt and dissolve yourself. What what, what are you doing? You're dissolving your consciousness into God, by doing what? But what do you mean? How do you stop being you and be part of Him? Well, if you fill yourself with divine content... Not with me content. We walk around all day and have me content. That's what we're thinking. It's, it's me. But now I'm not feeling... Now I'm emptying me content out and I'm putting in God content. What? God's Torah and also God's mitzvot. Especially tzedakah and kindness. So now what's happening? Hashem's M S and Hashem's truth is being expressed through us and, and revealing himself and being channeled through us this is what we learned in the last chapter Okay. Um, amazing it's so doable we're not talking about isn't this this incredible he's talking about an ability to become unified with God in a way that's literally doable you want to return so study Torah and do mitzvahs and, and do it with joy and this type of repentance here's the thing by the way, this is the repentance of Yom Kippur. The repentance of Yom Kippur is not supposed to be a bitter repentance, one with sadness and pain. And re- No, that's what we're supposed to take care of before Yom Kippur. That's what we try to get rid of today and tomorrow. If you didn't do that yet, now is the time to, to do the cleansing. On Yom Kippur, you're already clean. Now is the day just to become one with God. And that's Yom Kippur. You become completely integrated, and assimilated into Hashem. Spend an entire 24 hours, not being me, but being one with my source. Okay? But here in this chapter, chapter 10, he's going to say that that type of union with Hashem, where you empty yourself out of your content, and fill yourself with God's content, through Torah study and through mitzvahs, is in a sense magical. Why is it magical? Because... It doesn't make a difference where you really are in your general perception of the divine reality. It doesn't make a difference who you are. In other words, it doesn't make a difference if you're super conscious of God and you're filled and you really feel that he is the only reality and you feel tremendous love of God and awe of God. Or you're just a regular person. You don't really have a true powerful sense of the spiritual and of the divine. It's just... You're a simple person, but you do know you have a soul. You want to get connected. And you know, how do you connect? Well, I learn Torah, I make my connection. Now, when you're learning Torah, the holiness of the Torah, you're not creating that holiness. The holiness of the, the Torah, Torah is holy because it is holy. God says, the moment you start learning, I'll start channeling. So who is the one who's really making the journey? Then there is you and there is God. How is the connection taking place? God is making the journey. He is descending to fill your space. As soon as you're ready, as soon as you're willing to say, Hashem, I am opening myself up so that you can come down and fill me with your content, God will do that. But who is the one who's doing it? He is doing it. Because I'm speaking words of Torah. I don't even have to understand how this, what. Like, I don't have to be sensitive to the spiritual light of the Torah. You see, let me tell you something, really. The truth is like this. If we would be conscious of the holiness and of the spiritual energy, and spiritual energy is not a good word, of the divine energy that's flowing through our brain and through our mind while we are learning Torah, because we are saying awesomely godly things. We're thinking like, the most holiest things possible. If we would be conscious of what's happening, we'd be one of the two things. Either if we we're a real super soul, if we we're a really super soul which has a very big capacity for spiritual light, we would be trembling in awe, literally. We would be having convulsions, convulsions of, of dread, and we would be melting in ecstasy. One of the two. In, in the great bliss and light of what's happening. Okay. Or if we're not so, so, so um, such a vessel, we would pass out. We would literally pass out. Just like the Jews at Sinai, when God revealed himself, everybody died. Couldn't handle it. One of the two things would happen. It's a miracle that we don't feel what's going on. It's a miracle that we don't know because we're numb We're insensitive. Our souls don't know the divine. So even as we're channeling God's light, we're not sensing that it's God's light. But that doesn't make a difference. Because you don't sense that it's God's light doesn't change the nature of what's going on. When you are saying something holy, or when you are doing a mitzvah, and you're giving tzedakah, as long as you want to be connected, the connection is taking place even if we ourselves are coarse. And are not really sensitive to what's going on. Because your connection to God is not being created by you. It's being created by God. God is descending into you. That's last chapter. In this chapter he's going to say, okay, that's great. But you also, every one of us as an individual, also should try to come closer to God and become unified with him by us elevating our consciousness through a process of refinement. And that is accomplished through prayer. See, he's, he's distinguishing between Torah study and prayer. Torah study, the holiness of, of, of the experience is nothing to do, you're not creating it. You're just opening yourself up. The content is godly. It's Hashem's. Prayer is about you, what you feel. Prayer is, because really prayer is not just saying words. Prayer is how do you but you, um about um, you um, elevating, each and every one of us, elevating our consciousness to become more aware of God. So prayer is considered in the Zohar, prayer is called the ladder, which is, it says by Jacob that he had a dream at night, and he saw the ladder, the ladder standing on the earth, and the ladder, Yaakov, and the ladder going up to the heavens. So, um, and he saw angels going up the ladder. So the Zohar says that that's prayer. Because when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you're aware of is yourself. You can't be super conscious of God when you wake up. You wake up and you're, you know, I'm me, I'm hungry, I'm kind of, well, what's gonna be today? What am I gonna do today? What are my ambitions? What are my goals? How am I gonna make money today? Well, that's way. Then you open up a prayer book and you start thinking, hey, you know what? This is not my world. I didn't create it. God created me and He created the world and He has certain So let's see, let let's 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 start feeling Hashem, his reality. And, and that's what prayer is. You start meditating. Prayer is really a system of meditation. Even though most people don't pray like this. Most people just ramble a bunch of words. And that's what we call general synagogue prayer, shul prayer. It's not even so conducive for this. Unless you take your talus. And for women who don't have a talus, you have to get like a really big thing. Cover yourself up. And you'll be bothered by anybody. And then you close your eyes and you meditate on what you're learning. On what you're praying. And by doing that, you become filled suddenly with an awareness of God. You're thinking that the sun rose from the east. That's because it's not the sun rising. It's like we say in the prayer. that Hashem makes the sun rise from the east. And God, you think about the stars. You think about the plants and the trees. And how God is the soul of everything. And everything is alive only because Hashem is giving it life. Think about this magnificent universe that is now. And that the world is really only coming from God's speech every second. The world is being recreated because God is speaking it into existence. Everything I know, feel, sense, in all my five senses, everything that I ever experienced is all created by God. Every minute. So I get an appreciation for Hashem. And I grow deeper. And the more you learn, the more you learn, the more you understand the higher realities of Hashem's, as He expresses Himself in the upper worlds, and the higher realms. And that fills your heart with admiration and a feeling of wow of awe and then what happens next you start feeling emotions you start feeling emotions you want to love you you feel, you feel a love you want to draw close to the supreme being that is the source of everything you feel awe of God so you raise your consciousness and the more you... and and, and prayer is like exercise just like exercise your person comes in to do exercise for the first time and they want to whatever, uh, they're very limited of how much they can do. But then if you, c- you continue for a month, for two months, for three months, your muscles, you build the ability to be able to, to uh, do a much, a far more extensive workout, because you're building up the, the stamina to be able to do that. The same as with prayer. You pray a little bit. You're not used to praying. You can't focus your mind for more than a minute. That's good. For the first day, it's a good. Just do it for a minute. It's like a technique. You do it for a minute. You think one thought for a few for a few seconds. The next day you'll do it again. After a week you'll add another minute. Slowly you build it up. What this does to a person is it expands your divine consciousness. It elevates your awareness of God more and more and more and more. And that's what he's going to explain in this chapter, is that it's not enough just to say, I'm learning Torah and I'm doing mitzvahs, I'm hollowing out my vessel and I'm becoming a vessel for God. That's wonderful, that's because Hashem has descended very low to fill your space. But you need to sensitize yourself to feel that more. Because here's the thing, if all you do is only learn Torah and do mitzvot, but you don't pray, so even though God will fill your space, but you're not sensitive, you don't feel it. You're not knowing, you don't have any appreciation for that godliness. Because you haven't, you don't You don't have any, any, uh, any... Uh, Sen- yeah you you haven't you haven't purified your consciousness to be able to feel it so through daily prayer we bring ourselves to a deeper awareness to a point and here's the thing what is the target ultimate target by prayer that you become so aware of God that at a certain point you lose all self awareness and you don't even know that you exist why you've entered into the pure oneness of God and that's when we get where when are we supposed to get when are we supposed to reach that point? When we say Shema, Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, God is the only Echad, He is one. At that point, through the process of prayer, we ought to be in that, included in that oneness. And then we say Vahaftas Hashem Elokeinu, love God with all your heart, because you're just, you're cleaving to Him. Okay. Obviously, this is every day, but the. The, if we do this diligently, and, and, and we invest ourselves into it, then after, uh, after a while, it gets deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger and more powerful. So this is what Chuvilah is. What's tshuvi'illah? Tshuvi'illah is to bring yourself to a union with Hashem, like your soul was before it ever left, which means you don't feel separated. Well, when can you bring yourself to that in a manner that you'll be conscious of the unity, See, when you're studying Torah, it's happening, but you're not conscious of it. In prayer, you'll be conscious of it. That's the reason why he says it's not enough Torah and mitzvot, where you're just being a conduit for God's energy to flow you through you, but also requiring daily service to accomplish this higher teshuva. Let's read inside. Perek Yud. la'zu. Now, this higher teshuva, this greater chuva. Is daf kusa derucha, berucha, which he recalls, he calls it a divine kiss. What's a kiss? A kiss is when you love someone so much and you can't stand that there is space between you. So you, when, and a kiss where you're connecting your breath to their breath. Why are you connecting your breath? What's the, why is the kiss with the mouth? Because you breathe with your mouth. The breath to breath means. I can't stand being being someone else. I, I I just want me and you to become one. We're no we're no more two entities. Why are you doing it with your breath? Because your breath is your life force. So if two breaths locked together, then our breaths are one, we are one. Imagine doing that with God. With your breath, you're kissing God. So it's dafkis rucha berucha, spirit to spirit. One becomes unified with God. Al Al-yadei Torah which is accomplished through Torah study that we learned in the last chapter. Or milas, and through acts of kindness, which we also learned in the last chapter, where you become a conduit for God's light. He you want to look inside? It's chapter 10. You have the Tanya? He This is in a state of hamshacha. This is in a state of a flow. Melmaile you're causing God's light to descend down into you. Leois, in order for it to be, Devar Hashem, the word of God should be mamish. Literally, it's literally the word, Devar Hashem mamish. It's literally the word of God, Bipiv. It's, God. it's God's words are literally in your mouth. Kamosh as it says in the verse, he's quoting from the verse, Devarai Bepicha. I put my words in your mouth that's when you're studying Torah and when you're doing a mitzvah what's happening we said earlier God's kindness is flowing through your limbs and you become an extension cord through which God's kindness can be channeled through your kindness and that's the second thing the Torah is like a kiss and the mitzvah is like a divine embrace because the Zohar says that God's kindness is considered God's right hand See, our, physio- our, physio- our, our, our uh, uh, um, shape and form of our body, God said, let us create man in, my, in our image. So if we have a right hand and a left hand, God has a right hand and a left hand as well. The right side of God, according to the Kabbalists, is God's act, attribute of kindness. The left hand is his attribute of justice so, um, and, and discipline. When we're do being kind, as we said earlier, you're drawing God's right hand down through you. So in King Solomon, in, in his Song of Songs, which is all a love song between the Jewish people and God, he says, God, the Yeminoi Tchapkeni and his right hand embraces me. Literally, we're locked in a, in a godly hug, in a godly embrace. So when is that? When we're doing the mitzvah of tzedakah, and remember, this is only when we're doing the mitzvah. With what? This is only when we're doing the mitzvah with the desire to do teshuvah. It's the desire to cleave and to connect. So then, what am I doing? I'm extending God's hand down, and God is embracing me. The gemilas chasadim. When we are doing acts of kindness, why does now he's explaining? Why is my act of kindness? related to God's embrace. So he says, because it says in the Zohar, that kindness is God's right arm. So if kindness is God's right arm, God's kindness, and I'm being kind with the desire and with the intention that I want to facilitate and channel, I want to be one of the one of the funnels through where God is kind to that person. How is God going to be kind to that person? Through my limbs and my body. I'm going to go visit a person in the hospital today. And I'm going to cheer them up. And what's going to happen now? God wants to cheer that person up. Okay, God's cheering them up is going to come through you. You feed a hungry person. You, whatever it is that you do, an act of kindness. Oh, so it's, 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 you're touching God's arm. And what is God doing? He's embracing you literally hugging you when you're doing that. So this is all happening from above. But the human being, the mortal human being, the person, but the human being that is below, takhton means below, the person that is below, the person needs to go from level to level. You need to elevate your consciousness to become sensitive to what's happening. It's not enough... Jo- okay. You have to ascend, all of us. We, we need to ascend from the bottom up. And how do you do that? This is also the higher teshuva, which the higher teshuva is not about getting rid of sin. There is no more sin anymore. It's all about reuniting with your source. It's tshuvila the higher chuva, vizdavkis ruha berucha, and to cleave your spirit with God's Spirit, to become one with Him. And how do you do that? Bekavana halev, with the intentions of the heart, bitfila in prayer. That means not mumbling prayer. Prayer with the heart, with deep intention while you're praying, which is meditative prayer. b'frat b'kriya shema. Specifically, in which point of the Shema, um, which sorry, in which point of the prayer service, are, is one supposed to achieve this unification and identification with your divine source, to the point that you've melted and become subsumed in God's light, where you don't even know of yourself anymore because you 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 you've, you've entered into the consciousness that God is the only reality? When is that? Bekriya Shema. That is when you recite the Shema. That's when you reach that point. And the blessings that are said during the Shema. The, what do we mean by the blessings? The blessings that we say before the Shema is the place where we meditate. We meditate, because here's the thing. You can't just, in one moment... A person can't just snap their fingers and enter into a complete different consciousness if I'm conscious of myself and I've been busy with myself like for the last six weeks I didn't think of anybody else but myself and what I need and what I want I can't just flip the switch and say oh there's nothing but God and God is the only reality it's not true it's just a lie just just words you're saying you don't think that way at all you don't feel that way at all (laughs) they tell the story of the guy who's in shul On uh, Yom Kippur. And what happened? Let me just remember the story. It's a good story. Oh, he was a wealthy man, a very wealthy man. He was the president of the synagogue. And um, he was Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, we say, um, Yom Kippur, we say, um, confessions, the whole day Yom Kippur. And part of the confessions we say, What am I? Ma'ani, what am I? Ma'chayai, what is my life? I'm, all I am is dust, worms. We, 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 we knock ourselves down a little bit and we say we're words of dust and ashes. So this guy is saying it and he's saying it with like all intention. And then someone, I don't know, someone pushed him or something. And he got, got into a real rage. So they said to him, What do you mean? You were just saying that you're but dust and, 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 and worms. So the guy says, yeah, yeah, to God I'm gustin' worms, not to this gaggy over here. <laughs> so, to really come to being one and united with God, and to come to a consciousness of Hashem Echad, you can't just do that. It doesn't just say you're saying it. So therefore, he it's, 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 it says you have to have an introduction. And those are the blessings of the Shema. The blessings of the Shema is where we, where we meditate how God is the power, we speak about how God is the the force within the, how God makes all the planets move, the planets, the stars, the sun, the moon, and everything. We speak about, and then we speak about the metaphysical, we speak about the angels. And when you do a thorough deep meditation on all of this, then you can come to a point in Shema where you realize really nothing moves, nothing exists without that supernal power. And you really, really can be in that space. Maybe you'll only be in that space for a minute or two. But that itself is, is special. To go into that space where you recognize God truthfully, you're really conscious of it, powerfully, that He is the only reality. So in as he says that's where you reach that point. Kedei Lomar, in order to say vahafta, and the point over here is you wanna say vahafta. You wanna say vahafta sashama lokach. What do you say after the, the Shema? you continue, you should love God your God, with all your heart, with all your soul. And the point over here is, in order that it should be done, with truth. That's the difference between this chapter and the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, you're able to switch a button, or to, 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 hit, to, to say words of Torah, and magically... God fills your space. But that's not, it's true, but it's not your truth. Because you're not really there. You're still who you are. You're the same person you were yesterday for 15, 20 minutes or whatever it is that you, while you're learning the Torah for an hour or while you're doing a mitzvah, you're being, so to speak, possessed by God. God is filling you. He's he's overtaking your consciousness. And you're filled. That's wonderful and it's good. But you're not really feeling it. In this chapter, he's talking about doing it, be mitai, doing it with truth. Doing it with truth requires refinement. And the refinement requires going step by step. And it's interesting. When he talks about going up, well, see, here's the human here's there's us and there's God. The two of us can come together. That's the point. The emergence. Well when someone is on top of a mountain and someone is coming down and, and someone is at the bottom of the mountain there are two ways they can get together. Either the one on the bottom goes up to the one on the top or the one on the top comes down to the one on the bottom. But you see an interesting difference. If for the guy on the bottom to go on the top takes a lot of work, he has to climb the mountain. For the guy on the top to come down to the bottom is much quicker. Because going downhill is much quicker. So that's why he says, for Hashem to come down it happens instantly. For us to go up, he says darga la darga, it's step by step. This is a lifetime of work, every day, every day in prayer, step by step by step. But the point of it is, you come to be in that in a, in that state of unity with God in a very true way. V'chein, and then it's not. And then, what else do you continue when you say the Shema? V'chein v'ha yo'advar me'eleh. What else do we say in the Shema? We continue and speak about Torah study. We say, first, we proclaim God's unity. Then we say, Love God with all your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. And then we say, and Now, after you love God, now study His Torah. God says, These words that I am commanding you today should be on your heart. You should speak in them all the time. Why study now, Torah? After you love God, it's exactly the point that we're saying. Of course, every time a person studies Torah, even if they're very coarse, and they're not at all into this, they don't even care about spirituality. They just like the subject matter. It's intriguing them. They like, they like learning. It's enjoyable. When they are learning, God dwells inside of them. That's just because of the subject. The subject is holy. But, it's not Be'em lamita. It's not full truth. Now, as he says, Now when you're going to study Torah, after your meditation, and after you perceived, you entered into that consciousness of oneness, and you want to maintain and bring the oneness to full expression, now you're studying Torah as a consequence of your prayer. Then it's very real. You speak in them. Be'emes. That the word, I think the most important word in this entire chapter, he keeps on repeating, which he did not say in the last chapter, is the word be'emes in truth. Because it's really where you are. Be'emes with truth, ain emes elator, vechulun, through the Torah. Ve'chein, and not only that, why do we continue in the Shema? Lakayim kocha mitzviz, to do all the mitzvot, to do all the mitzviz. Which is continues the Shema? Because what's the end of the of the Shema? We continue that. Put it for Tefillin on your hand. Put the Tefillin on your head. Make a mezuzah by your door. That these are the mitzvahs. So that what follows afterwards is doing the mitzvah after you study Torah. Now do the mitzvah. And what is the idea of the mitzvah? The idea of the mitzvah is to become again connected to God. And in a sense, we're going to learn in them now, the connection to God with the mitzvah is higher than the connection with God through the Torah. Because in the Torah is God's wisdom, and mitzvot, and the mitzvah, is God's will. And the, the will is higher than the wisdom. Like in a person. The, the, a person's mind is only a, is only a detail of us. It's, it's one of our powers. We have an intelligence. But our will, that's your soul, yourself. What you desire. It's your soul. As he says, as it says in the be'mitzvosav," that God, and here, the, mit, the mitzvah observance, when it's coming out of this form of meditative prayer, when you have a prayer of meditation, and then you're studying Torah, and then you're doing a mitzvah, the mitzvah is not just to do a good deed. The mitzvah is because you're so excited to connect to God. You want the connection. And that's what we say when we do a mitzvah, we say a blessing. We say, asher be mitzvah that he sanctified us in the mitzvahs. The word asher kidishanu, that he made us holy, has another meaning. Kedushan is the same word we use for getting married. When a man marries a woman, when he gives her the ring, and he betroths her, making him his wife, he says, Hare at you are not hereby betrothed to me. Every time we're doing a mitzvah, God is marrying us. Asher kiddishanu. Husband and wife become one. The verse says, Vahayu They become one flesh. They become one entity. God gives us an opportunity to bond, to unify, to become completely one with Him. Asher kiddishanu b'mitzvah That you have sanctified. Kemoi, what does it mean? Hare at me You are sanctified to me. And, 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 and there's two things over here Number one, he's emphasizing Mikudashasli That he's, God is connecting us in a manner of Kedushim We become totally one with Him On the other hand, to which level of God are we becoming connected to? To the level of God called Kodesh Kodesh means God's transcendence Because God Himself projects Himself in many ways One level of God's projection is God's imminence Hashem is entering into every little detail of creation. God's energy flows in everything. In every blade of grass. In every grain of, of sand. In every aspect of the world, there is a divine energy. But that's God's imbuing of himself within the world. But then there is God as he transcends all of creation. His infinite light that the world can't handle. That's called kedusha, holiness. And that's the beauty of the mitzvah. When you're doing a mitzvah, not only are you connecting with God when you're doing a mitzvah, but you're connecting with God's transcendence. He's picking you up higher than the universe, higher than all the spiritual cosmos, higher than all of... All, beyond, beyond, higher than all worlds. Because you're connecting with Hashem's Kedusha, Hashem's holiness. Hareat lo Kodesh Kodesha Elyon, the supernal holiness, la shen it means from the word precious. Precious means that which is separated, Vahavdallah. she'eina yachal, I turned over the page, she'eina yachal lihislabesh Taych alman, something, turn over the page to 198, she'eina yachal lihislabesh Taych alman, some, the levels of divine energy, of God's light, that is not able to enclose itself in the world's, because all before him is not because we're dealing with such a level of energy such a powerful light that the creation is considered nothing to him so how can how can they contain him they can't contain his light but when you're doing a mitzvah you're wrapping yourself in that light it's encompassing all worlds who which is the divine will which is the mitzvah what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is God's will. That's higher than all of creation. And that's where. And what's? But here. So you're going to ask a question. Didn't we learn that we're doing that in the last chapter? The English one is there. Okay. Um, didn't we learn? Didn't we learn that we're doing that already in last chapter? We learned connecting to God, filling yourself with God's light through Torah and through mitzvahs. And he's repeating it over here again. He's not repeating it again. It's a different thing. In last chapter, we learned learning Torah and doing mitzvahs in that magical manner. It doesn't make a difference where you are. First learn, first do a mitzvah, you're unified with God. Anybody can do that. In this chapter, he's saying, when you will learn Torah, and when you will do mitzvah, after you prayed, that's the whole idea, after you prayed, and what kind of prayer did you do? A meditative prayer, in which you, ref- you, you, you became aware, and stronger aware, and deeper, with a deeper awareness, and a deeper awareness, and, and entered into a, a state of, God, you're the only reality, and I know so. I feel it, I sense it, and my heart is ablaze with desire to just be one with you. How can I do that? I will now study Torah so that I can fill my mind and my heart with your light, and I will do a mitzvah so that I can reach and touch your infinite light that's bigger than all of creation. Wow. This is a total unity. And over here, it's pippinimious. It's internalized. It's not just happening, and you have no clue what's happening. You do have a clue what's happening because you sensitize yourself during prayer. The gam, and then, but it's not, but but even more than that, it's not only okay. So that you got you got your meditation by prayer, then you're you're in the Shema, you're speaking about the Torah that you're going to study after prayer, the mitzvahs you're going to do, but not done yet. You want to when you're doing tshuva, you want to return to God, and you don't want to go away from here. You want to remain in this unity forever and ever. You don't want to leave. So that's why we say, this is so special, the gam after we complete the prayer, oimrim we say, Hashem nafshi esa. To you, God, I lift up my soul. This means if you Davin the Nusahari, if you use the Nusahari Siddur, it's the Chabad Nusach, other and the Sfardi, also say this. Ashkenazim say a different taqnun. This is during the ta'nun when we fall on our head, on our on our hands. At the end, after the, after the Amidah, after Shemona Esri. So we say, L'david, there's a, 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 a psalm in which we say, Elecha Hashem, to you, God, nafshi esai, lift up my soul. What, is it, what do we mean by that? You're, you, you just finished praying. You step the three steps backwards. And you realize that you're going away from such a beautiful place. And you have to face the world and all the stuff you're going to be doing in the world and it hurts if you're really in there, it bothers you, you don't want to go away so at the end of prayer you say, God, I lift up my soul to you and I want to stay in your, I want to get, meaning all my doings that I'm doing during the day should all be with with, with godly intention in other words, if I'm going to work, and I'm going to do my business, I'm doing it so that I can make a living so that I can do tzedakah, help people out and." sustain myself so I can do mitzvahs tomorrow and I can pray tomorrow. If I don't eat today, I won't pray tomorrow. So I need to eat, I need to take care, I need to rest, I need to exercise, I need to shop, I need to do all the things. But they're all done with the idea of it's all stemming from the recognition that God is the nucleus of my existence and everything that I'm doing is evolving around my relationship with Him and my fulfillment of what He wants of me then you don't step out of the unity. And even when you're shopping, and even when you're exercising, or you're, or you're eating, or sleeping, or whatever you're doing, you remain within that unity. You remain within that embrace. And that's what the person says after the prayer. nafshi <speaking in Hebrew> so To you, God, I lift my soul. <speaking in Hebrew> to cleave my spirit to God's spirit. call <speaking in> hayayim <Hebrew> all day long. Even after prayer. All day long. V'chol <speaking in Hebrew> And how can you do that and really mean it? How can you really be in that state when you just want to be connected? yadei is binding. This takes contemplation. This is what prayer is about. That's why you have to introduce prayer. Because in the prayer is not prayer is not just about saying words, as we said earlier. Prayer is about deeply thinking about the words you're praying, thinking about the greatness of God that is expressed in the, in the words of the prayer. And thinking deeply, in the two blessings that you say before the Shema, and then in also in the verses of song, that we say until we begin the blessings of the Shema, we say Ashrei and all those Halalukas, this is all preparing us for the greater union, as it is known. Okay. So this is the way he sees the higher teshuva. Two ways. One is in a manner in which you pull God down into you, and that's how you unify with Him. The other one is through you raising, we all, we raise our consciousness up deeper and deeper every day in our becoming more and more aware of Hashem being the only reality. And when we're in that place, we want to finalize and actualize that union through the Torah, the mitzvahs, and all the doings that we do all day long with with them being... Focused, they're not being just done out of just out of the whim or whatever we're doing, just because we're doing. But we're doing them because it's all part of my. It's all part of the oneness. Without this, we're living in fragmentation. Every minute, we're somewhere else. But like this, we're all connected with a singular purpose and a singular truth that encompasses all the time. Okay. But now he says, this is so beautiful. Now since prayer then is this higher tshuva, this higher return, according to this, prayer is a time when you're now returning completely into Hashem. It's the tshuva law. And it's not the tshuva law that happens with a snap of the finger. It's the chuvi law that you're doing through your hard work, which makes it more which makes it more yours. It's more internalized. It's more part of you. Ooh, in order that Since prayer is this higher teshuva, you can't do the higher teshuva unless you first do the lower teshuva. We learned earlier, there's two steps. There's the lower teshuva and the higher teshuva. That's why the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, is going to now recommend that every day before you pray, you're supposed to do teshuva as an introduction to prayer. Every day, because since teshuva, since prayer is a time of returning your soul to your Maker, to the point where it was before it was ever created, that's your point of the prayer, to rejoin with Hashem, in order to accomplish that, And since, شَعَتْفِيلَ that prayer, Prayer is the higher Teshuvah, We have to preface it, the lower Teshuvah. That means, that a person should and what's the lower chuva? The lower chuva is cleansing. What's the higher chuva? The higher chuva is returning your soul to God. It's not about cleansing, it's about union, about fusion. The lower chuva is about doing repairs and shaking off all the stuff that might have gotten in the way from allowing a person to connect to Hashem. The lower chuva is a painful chuva, it involves pain the higher chuva is a pleasurable chuva and a delightful tshu- pleasure delight and joy it's a joyful chuva two experiences so be- so prayer always has to be with joy all judaism requires joy it's beismillah prayer has to be a great joyous experience before you pray however that's when you can ha- that's when we need to bring ourselves to a broken heart and to feel the pain for all of our deficiencies and all of our faults. And since prayer is the higher tshuva, we have to preface it with the lower tshuva. And where do we see that? this is what the sages say in the Mishnah, that one should not get up to pray only with a heavy head. Translated literally. A heavy head. What does that mean? Rashi explains, Rashi, the chief commentary, Pirish Rashi, Rashi says, means to feel humbled. What does that mean, humbled? Humbled means feel broken, a broken heart. You feel lowly with yourself. Well, that's what we said, that's the lower chuvah. As we learned in the earlier classes, the lower tshuva is to feel pity for your soul, the bitterness, and the and the compassion and the pity for one's own soul, and the broken heart, and then as a res- and then from there you move to the higher tshuva. So therefore, it says in the Mishnah that we always have to pray for who bchinas tshuva tata. And this is the lower tshuva, laor keniskaliel to evoke mercy. See, let's understand why. He says now that every time before you're going to do the higher tshuva, you always have to preface it with the lower tshuva. Which is, in a sense, an opposite experience. The higher tshuva is a joyful experience of attachment, of unification with, your, with Hashem. The lower tshuva is painful, remorse, knocking yourself down, breaking your heart. It seems to be contradictory. It seems to be... Well, take a look at when a person shoots an arrow, what do you do? In order to shoot the arrow forward, you have to pull it first back. And when you pull it back, that's how it shoots. Ah, oh, you'll say, what well, is this crazy? You're ridiculous. You want to send the arrow that way. Why are you pulling it back this way? Well, the pulling back that way creates the tension, and that's what's needed to shoot the arrow forward. As long as a person feels so good about himself and so inflated, their ego is so inflated because I'm so whatever, you're not going to be unified with God. It ain't happening. There's no space for God because you're filled with yourself. So what does a person do? You break your heart a little bit. And you say, you know what? I, I messed up here and I messed up here. And Look, we learned earlier how you bring yourself to a, a broken heart. And then you feel broken. And then you desire, and you feel so distant and so removed. And then you want so badly to be reunited. You want it so strongly. And then when you pray, you'll make that connection. You can't just go and say, I'm studying Torah. I'm studying Torah, so I'm connecting my heart to God. Spirit to spirit, I'm studying Torah. Spirit to spirit is a kiss. Two people getting together. There's another two ways that two people can get. You can take two heads and smash them together. So you're gonna say that's called as dafkis rucha berucha. There's a spirit to a spirit cleaving. I the two heads are touching. Yeah, they're touching, but they're not bonding, they're touching. So if a person just says, oh, I'm going to study Torah and I'm going to do the mitzvah because B'dah, first you have to want it. Your soul has to be yearning it. You have to be open for it. So it requires the, it requires every day, this is so beautiful because it's such a, it's such a, it's such a, it's so not the religious way of doing things. Because when, you know, when you, when, you say, um, what we say is uh, organized religion stifles all of this. it's all about like, it's not, it's not it. This is deep. Wake up in the middle of the night before you go pray. Meditate. Cleanse yourself. And then pray. And it's real. Not just. And it's all about your union with Hashem. This is what you desire. It's a, it's a connection. It's a real connection. So he says, every day before you pray is... To evoke mercy, la ora To evoke mercy, canal. It could and like it says in, in the Talmud, mikra. The sages learn it out from the Talmud. It's in the pasuk. It's in the gemara. It says from a pasuk. The It speaks about Chana, Chana went to pray in the holy temple. Chana, the mother of Samuel, the mother of Shmuel and And when she and we learned, we said the haftorah on Rosh Hashanah. She says she was bitter. So the sages learn out from here that you have to have a Ein oimdim that you don't stand to daven only with a heavy head which Rashi says means humility which you see from here means bitterness because the bitterness is you feel compassion for your soul and that makes you bitter <laughs> however in the Braith over there it says Braith says like an offshoot of the Mishnah it says it says you don't stand up to daven, only from joy. That means that if that you, you don't pray unless you're happy. So then which one is it? In the Mishnah it says the only way to pray is by being broken, heartbroken. Broken And in the other um, uh, Mishnah it says that what? That you need to be joyful when you're davening. So how do you which one is it? And the answer is these are two stages in preparation for prayer. The prayer itself has to be with joy. Cuz how can you not be happy if you're if you're if you're joining if you're unifying with your source? It says in the verse it says strength and joy is in his place. If your religious life, if your observance is not with joy, is a sign that God isn't there. It's a sign that Hashem isn't there. If God is present in your, in your life, you're happy. There's no such a thing as... Wherever God is, there is joy. So prayer has to be besimcha. And that's why in Hasidic life, everything was always besimcha. Even Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, The joy keeps on bursting out all the time. He can't contain it. Why? Because where Hashem is, there is, there is simcha. There is joy. Melancholiness, God can't be there. Oh, this that we say that you have to be broken hearted before you... That, that's, that, that's, that's before. From a broken heart comes the joy when you feel the connection. So it's step by step. But he says, he's going to say, but most people have a problem. Most people can't change their heart just like this to feel broken hearted. And then feel joy. How, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you move? How do you change modes so quickly usually if we're broken heart then we will be the whole day will kinda be a downer and we'll sleep and tomorrow we might wake up in a happier mood but to be able to just switch the heart so quickly says most people have a... so there are people that have no problem these are very very great souls and people whose system has not been clogged people who have a very very pure heart, children they can cry one minute and a minute later, they're laughing, there's no problem. They can move and switch emotions because their gears are l- well lubricated, and everything is moving really well, the wind, the wheels and everything inside they' because they haven't yet damaged it. So that's why children are able to experience emotion. Well, now there's something to be happy about. they're happy. Now there's something sad to cry about. They're, they're sad. Now there's something to be happy again, they're happy. We get stuck in an emotion. it takes us six months to get out of it. Right? Because it's like all the grime and all the stuff that are sitting there, that are not allowing the smooth, the smooth rotation of the wheels in our, in our soul. So there are pure souls that remain in the child state that haven't done damage. So they're able to move from the sadness to the joy instantaneously. But most people cannot do that. And so therefore, what, what should they do? So he recommends the sadness you wake up at midnight... Because there used to be a prayer that people used to do at midnight. That's when it's and generally it says midnight is a time that God weeps. There's a certain sadness in the universe. God is weeping too on the destruction of the temple and on the exile and all the pain and misery that there is in the world. That of course God created, but at the same time He did it for an, a greater purpose. And until the purpose is realized, it hurts Him very much. So God cries every night. So it's a time when you can that that is that is. Know, different times are, 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 um, are conducive to different feelings. Midnight is, a, is, is conducive to, to a broken heart. Early morning is conducive for joy. The sun is rising. The world is happy. The birds are chirping. Life is, the world is springing to life. It's conducive to joy. So he says, if you're really up to it, this is what you do. At night is when you bring yourself to the sadness, and in the morning, not the sadness, the, the sadness is never good, because sadness more of a, a frustration. At night, and then you bring yourself in the morning to some Sometimes we see it over here. He says, and in our generation, in a very orphan generation, he's talking uh, 250 years ago, when they were really still super, super Jews, and he says, but he still calls it an, an orphan generation, hazeh. People can't change their hearts in an instant, from one extreme to the other extreme. So the advisable advice, To first do the, the lower teshuva, that you should do at the midnight a prayer, as we said earlier. And then you'll do the in the mornings. You'll have a few you'll have a few hours to change your mood. How do you change your mood? He doesn't necessarily recommend to go back to sleep. (laughs) See, in those days, in general, I have to do have to say something. We can't really compare because in those days they didn't really have any electricity, so there was no entertainment that night. Basically, as soon as it got dark, six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night, everybody went to sleep. What are you going to do? Unless you hung out in a local tavern, there was nothing else. So the people went to sleep. So you went to sleep at 7, 8 o'clock, you can get up at midnight already, and like or 1 o'clock in the morning, and start preparing yourself. So, that what they would do is they would do the limitation, the, 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 the crying. Then they would study Torah for a few hours, and then you would prepare for prayer. So, that's enough to change your heart and to cause the change. Um, for most people today, it's very hard to get up midnight. You won't be able to function the next day. So, therefore, he says, <speaking in Hebrew> And if you can't do this every night. If you can't do this every night. Because it's just gonna, you know, you can't handle it. He says, do this internal cleansing at least once a week. Once a week, you should do the Lifnei HaShabbos. Do it on Thursday night. Today is Thursday. Thursday night is a good night for this. Why? Because it's the night before Shabbat, before Shabbos. Why should you do it before Shabbos? Because he says, it is known to those who know that Shabbos is also a day of tshuva. Just like prayer is tshuva, returning to God, Shabbos is tshuva. Shabbos is a cosmic tshuva. All of the universe is returning to its creator. If the, if the universe, because that's the idea of sh- Shabbos, Shabbos, means, Shabbos is a, means rest, but if you take the word Shabbos and you rearrange the letters, you get the word Tashav, tashev means return so shabbos all of creation returns to god and everybody's in a higher state of consciousness on shabbos more aware of god if all of existence returns to god our souls also return our souls return to our source so of course a person can be totally oblivious to this but if we decide that we want to join into this into this return we can actually feel this on Shabbos. That we're moving into a state of much closer union. That's regular Shabbos. Yom Kippur is called Shabbos Shabbosayim. It's the Shabbos of all Shabboses. So Yom Kippur for sure, every neshama, every soul, is brought back into union with its source in a very powerful way. So, so So therefore, since Shabbos is the higher tshuva, being reunited with your source Therefore, and we always know that in order to have the higher tshuva, you first have to preface the lower tshuva. So it's good, and it's important, that at least before Shabbos, every Shabbos, one should have a, a tshuva tata exercise. A cleansing, a purification, so that when Shabbos comes, there's no barriers anymore, and a neshama could return. Shabbos is the higher Tshuva. Shabbos is and Shabbos is the letters of Tashav Enosh. A man should return. Alias because on Shabbos the worlds return to their source. U U'Befrat. And particularly, betfilah isa Shabbos, the davening of Shabbos. If Shabbos is return, and prayer is also return, so can you imagine the prayer on Shabbos is the return of the return? Because you have both together. The Shabbos itself is a return, and the prayer of Shabbos, we know that the prayer of Shabbos is much higher than the prayer during the week. One can attain a much higher level of consciousness on Shabbos than you could during the week. It just doesn't work the same. Try to put in the same amount of effort on Tuesday, on Shabbos, in your prayer, you'll see you'll go much further on, sh- on Shabbos than you'll go during the week because it's the nature of time itself that it's an elevated time and it picks you up. The dial and it is enough to those who understand. And with this we'll understand. We're almost finished over here. It says in the verse, God says to the Jewish people, and we're gonna we're gonna say it on Yom Kippur. We're gonna keep, we're saying this verse many times. God says to the Jewish people, Shu, the verse says like this. He he brings this later, but the, the the beginning of the verse is like this. Machisi, I have erased like a thick cloud your sins. Okay, God says I have erased your th- your sins, that the, your sins were like thick clouds, like dense clouds that were separating between me you, you and me. My light was not shining on your soul, because you put all these sins, these thick clouds. And Kaanan, there were these clouds that were blocking because of Chatosechel, because your sins. God says, "I blew the wind, and I blew away the clouds. Now my, my I'm shining upon your soul. The sun is shining upon your soul. Hashem is sign, shining upon you. Machisi. Then God says, Shuvalai, return to me, Kiga Altuicha, because I have redeemed you." I have your deemed you already. And I hear the question is, I understand we need to do tshuva before God, if there are barriers between us and Hashem, we need to do tshuva. We will do tshuva, we will do repentance, God will remove the barriers. But here it says the opposite. Hashem is saying, I have removed already the barriers. There is no more clouds. There are no more clouds, there's no separation. And now God says, Shuva return to me, because I have redeemed you. But if you redeemed me already, that means you redeemed me from all the forces of unholiness, from all the negative forces that have been locked upon my soul, so then why do I have to return? We're done already. No, he's saying. That's the whole point. You can't return until I remove the barriers. Because we're talking about the higher tshuva that comes after the lower tshuva. Hashem says, you've done your lower tshuva. You're no more a sinner. There's no more sin. You're clean. You're... It's, it's 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 a clean slate. Everything is good. It's precisely now that God says is when I miss you so much. Come close to me. Come unify with me. Shuva lai return to me. al-ticha. I've already removed everything and now it's just me and you. I have erased, ka'av, like a thick cloud, your sins. He I have removed the Spirit, the other side, and I have redeemed you, from the extraneous forces, and how did you do that? When you evoked divine mercy, when you, did, when you did the lower tshuva. You did the lower tshuva, remember we said that the lower tshuva involves evoking God's mercy and God's compassion. from your work from below, as you did your lower tshuva, as we said earlier, as I then... Shuva ilai, Hashem says, return to me. Because in the lower tshuva, you're not returning to God. You're returning to being a good person. But you haven't returned to God. You're no more a sinner, but you're still a creation. And an identifiable being outside of God. Now Hashem says, no, no, no. It's return to me. Become reabsorbed in me. bechuva ilah in the higher chuva. And that is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the ultimate tshuva ilah. We've already been clean. We've already been clean. We do our chuva, and if we didn't, we have another day, do a little soul cleansing, and everything is clean. Then comes Yom Kippur, it's a day for higher chuva. It's a high day of just unification on all five levels of our soul. Yom Kippur, we pray five prayers. So every, there's five levels of our soul. Every level reconnects to its source in another prayer. And by the end of Yom Kippur, we've reached total unification with Hashem. And now we're ready to be completely new Jews for the upcoming year. Healthy, strong, healthy in in, in spirit, which translates, of course, into physical health as well. And we all have a good and wonderful new year. for sure. <laughs>